settling the estate and bypassing the probating process with arranging assets that would do that as part of our job. Uh, you know, and we help interpret what the attorney is saying, but we also help organize the assets to where it would properly flow according to what the estate plan says or outside of the estate plan if necessary. For a decade, Cahaba Wealth Management has been driven by a belief that our fiduciary responsibility is to have conversations with you, our current and future clients, to discover what really matters to you. Wealth is not created overnight. Instead, it is earned by having a solid blueprint that allows you to plan and build for the future. Our goal with this podcast is to share our best practices and strategies about creating a secure and joyous future, while also addressing ideas in the marketplace that do not work as well. Join us on this journey as we discuss the ups and downs of the investment world to educate you and help you make the best possible decisions for your financial well-being. Let's go now to the There Is A Better Way podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the There Is A Better Way podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Corey Durkin, and along with me for the ride today are none other than two of the managing partners here at Cahaba Wealth, Henry Weidman and Will Jackson. First of all, Henry and Will, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you here to talk about the most exciting topic in the known universe, estate planning. Uh, thanks, Corey. Good to be here. Good to be here, Corey. Thank you. Absolutely. So, you know, when we think about estate planning, a lot of people get a little bit intimidated. It is a very complex component of one's financial life. It is filled with terms and concepts that can be foreign and overwhelming. And it's something that many of us know we need to tackle, but the mere thought of it can sometimes cause anxiety. But the the, the truth is that estate planning doesn't have to be scary, right? It's not a it's not a beast hiding in the dark. It is a tool, it is a roadmap, it is a way to ensure that your wishes are respected, that your loved ones are protected. And it's about taking control of your financial future. And that is a very empowering idea. So we're going to start by talking about this and kind of breaking down what people need to know and start to get them comfortable with the fact that estate planning is a part of a very, very comprehensive financial planning process. So, uh, Will, my first question is to you. Talk to us about um, a will-based estate plan or a revocable trust or all these other crazy terms that nobody really knows, but they kind of nod their head when their uncle's talking to them at Thanksgiving dinner going, yeah, I just got that revocable estate trust thing going on. And they're like, yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and you know, as Henry and I will attest, within the comprehensive financial planning process, when we bring this up, you can kind of see people get that intimidated look because you hit it on the head. The only experience they have with this subject matter is listening to Uncle Joe or Aunt Sally or whoever it is, and they don't have any context behind why they did what they did. Uh, and they don't have the understanding, the basic understanding of a state law or a state uh, document preparation to know what's appropriate for them. And nobody wants to raise their hand and say, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I know it's very important for me. So please tell me more because you, you, you know, you sound, they think they sound stupid, right? So no one wants to be vulnerable. So your lead in is good. It hit on, there's one major decision to make when you enter into this process. Do you want a wills-based estate plan or do you want a revocable trust-based estate plan? And simply what that is, is if you have any type of liability concern or estate tax consideration concern, you should probably be thinking about uh, a revocable trust-based estate plan. If you have a very simple world, uh, a wills-based estate plan will be more than sufficient, uh, and it doesn't have to have a lot of bells and whistles. 
Well, you know, I think, um, as I mentioned earlier in the uh, the pregame uh, discussion, that, you know, people, you know, generally don't really want to think about what happens to, you know, their assets or life after the point of them leaving the earth. I mean, they spend all their time trying to accumulate assets. They spend all their time trying to get themselves in a position to retire. Spend all their time trying to make sure their investments where they need to be. Um, the thought of them dying prematurely and assets passing the next generation not something they always want to think about. Uh, and also, all the legal jargon associated with estate planning just purely intimidates. You know, like like Will said earlier. Um, you know, when you're talking about establishing a will-based estate plan versus a revocable trust, I mean, one factor can consider there is really it's, it's really all state specific number one because everybody every state has their own laws and a lot of it revolves around uh you know maybe the cost or the probating process you know if you're if you're if you go into a revocable trust type of state plan you're going to be in a position to potentially avoid probate well probate cost and the probating process is not the same in all the states so it really become it really becomes a state issue and is it worth going through that process or not um uh you know a revocable trust is a living trust meaning that you can get in and out of that trust while you're alive and generally speaking it would become irrevocable uh, where you can't get in and out of it uh, after death. And so it's really state-specific on the probating laws, which which route you want to go. There's a lot that goes into that conversation. Um, but, yeah, so, so you know, one one needs to be well-adversed or, or hooking up with an advisor that is well-adversed with the state-specific laws. One specific wrinkle I'll add in there, Corey, is a will is a state-specific document and speaks to the estate law of the state in which it's prepared and finalized. A trust document is generally accepted in every state. So the will is actually what gets probated and the will directs you to the trust should you have a trust-based estate plan. And what if you own a property in more than one state? What happens then? The You have to file for probate in every state in which you have a material interest. Corey, I'll give you an example of that. I had a client one time that um, he he's an Alabama, you know, based client. That's where he lived. But he had one sixth of a two hundred fifty thousand dollar condo in Florida. And when he passed away, he had to open up the estate and the probating process in both states and go through the complex process of, 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 of you know, sending those assets where they need to go just because they own one sixth of a two hundred fifty thousand dollar condo could have been avoided a lot of issues a lot of costs a lot of complexity and so so you got to be careful when owning out-of-state property make sure you're planning accordingly right and it's really about looking at all of those loose ends all of those scenarios and being able to plan for them and when you're thinking about planning for all of those scenarios and all of the people that you want to take care of or make sure they don't get hit with certain tax burdens and liabilities one of the things that you talk about a lot will is charting out your family relationship so talk to us a little bit about that process and how that can kind of define the roadmap for you yeah so you want to know you know how many kids do you have how old are they are they still in guardianship or are they uh, young adults um, you want to know how you would like assets to flow to those kids uh, in an incident of death, an untimely death, right? Um, do you have parents that need to be taken care of? Do your in-laws need to be taken care of? Do you have an ex-spouse? Is, is there a divorce decree in the here that we have to be aware of with some life insurance requirements? Uh, has there been an adoption? Um, you know, do we have a special needs child? All these things can be handled appropriately within the preparation of the will and, if appropriate, trust documents uh, to make sure that 
the plan you've come up with with the estate attorney is honored and executed uh, by the executor and the and the subsequent trustees. Now, Henry, have you ever seen a scenario where somebody forgot they had a kid or they forgot that they had <laughs> adopted somebody or they forgot about an ex-spouse and uh, this part of the process completely went awry as a result? Like where, where can people get screwed up in this part of the uh, the roadmap here? You know, Corey, uh, I've been doing this for 25 years. I can safely say no one has forgot about a kid. Now, that remains to be seen and that will happen in the future. But for the most part, people generally uh, have some idea whether they focus on it up front or secondary to the thought process of how they would like, you know, assets to pass to uh, their, their kids or you know, have plenty of clients that don't have any kids that, that they have to look at nieces and nephews and uh, uncles. And then ultimately, you know, they may want to leave a certain amount to charity. And, uh, you know, our job and our role is to work with the estate planning attorney and in, in many cases to interpret, you know, a little bit uh, of the legal jargon that estate planning attorneys sometimes can can get off into. And the clients just get this, you know, gloss look over the face and we understand. So we're there to kind of, you know, figure out a way to bridge the gap. And we may know the clients better because we're in a relationship as opposed to in a, a, in a, in a transactional type situation that the attorney is going to be in. Uh, so a lot of times we're the interpreter and we also know how the decisions they're making can impact other areas of their financial plan as well. And uh, so uh, in a comprehensive financial planning relationship, uh, this is one of many parts, but it's very, very, very important. And uh, I have seen cases where there are special needs. Um, it's important to separate assets into a special trust uh, that would uh, prohibit or, or or still put them in a situation where they could qualify for government assistance uh, uh. as they get older. So it separates the assets from them. It's like a dotted line uh, to, to the assets, but it's removed from calculation when it comes to qualifying for government assistance. Uh, that's just one example um at spouses is a big uh, issue obviously in today's divorce, divorce rate we run across a good many clients that have at spouses and also children from at you know it's you know previous marriages that have to be accounted for uh without a proper estate plan it could really be a mess you know they would have passed away suddenly so and, Love and it. Corey, and Corey, generally in the documents um if there is any direct descendant or child of someone there's general language within the documents that in that incorporates that person into the will document, even if they're not mentioned by name. You know, this really goes back to the idea that Cahaba Wealth Management is is a is a three sixty financial firm, right? That your 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 job is to sit there with each client and say, listen. We're thinking about all these things. We're thinking about all of these questions that we're going to ask you based on your situation, so that you don't have to sit there at night going, "Oh my gosh, it's two a.m." What am I going to do? Because a lot of people do that. This is yeah. this is where people really go down a lot of rabbit holes. And and one point that hasn't been mentioned is, and, I, and I'll bring it up. It's self-serving, but I'll bring it up: is we save people a lot of money because we are very familiar with their family situation. We're very familiar with their income situation. We're very familiar with their asset situation, and then we're also very familiar with their insecurities. So when we start to talk about this subject, we're already miles ahead of where they would be if they walked into an estate attorney's office and had to yeah. explain it all over again. Right. And nothing against my estate attorney friends. They're fantastic and we use a lot of great ones, but they charge by the hour. We have a comprehensive financial planning fee built into our yeah. process and procedures. So you're not paying extra money to get all that homework done before you actually walk into that 
that a state attorney's office. It's a, it's a great point. And again, nothing against the estate attorneys, but they just no. haven't spent the time with the clients the way that you have. And as a wealth management firm, your job is to know those things, to know those hot buttons and to know the particulars and know what to bring up to a specific client. Now, something else that we want to talk about in this episode is um, the difference between contract and probate. So when we're yeah. thinking about setting this up for the future, setting our family, our loved ones up for the future uh, in estate planning, tell us what it means when something passes by contract and what passes through probate. Explain that to us. So generally accounts, uh, bank accounts um, will pass by contract. Um, uh, uh, brokerage accounts will pass by beneficiary designation, which by definition is by contract. Um, any type of IRA uh, or 401k or any other type of account situation passes by contract. So those aren't actually included within the estate documents. Uh, those are included saying my 401k, if I should pass, goes 50% to each child. And that's by contract versus I have a chandelier in the entryway of my home that my daughter loves, and I am saying that if I pass, that goes to her. Uh, so that's the difference, and that would go, the will would go to probate, and then once the will has been a pro processed and approved by probate, then it goes to the executor, and the executor is the one who carries out the wishes of the, de of the deceased. So... Go ahead, go ahead, Henry. Well, to carry that a little further, I think, um, you know, by operation of law, that will said, uh, IRA assets, retirement plan, 401ks, those things have a an automatic beneficiary opportunity that, that you can name a specific person that would bypass the probating process. Regular brokerage accounts and bank accounts, you have to actually create a different registration called a transfer on death or a paid on death. It's not automatically on there. So we point that out a lot of times. That's our role to the, you know, to the client, um, you know, and, and even other type assets in terms of ownership, you know, you got jointly held assets. Uh, there's joints for rights of survivorship. There's joints for the right uh, with tendency in common, uh, those things. If 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 the you know one of the the owners pass away, the other one's going to automatically receive that. Uh, there's different nuances to each. Uh, Will may want to talk about that in just a second, but um, but you know setting things up, especially if there's not a specific reason. There's no out of the ordinary family dynamic situation where assets just pretty much go uh, from the first spouse to the second spouse and then to the kids. You know creating uh, or some Simplicity uh, in settling the estate and bypassing the probating process with arranging assets that would do that as part of our job, uh, you know, and we help interpret what the attorney is saying, but we also help organize the assets to where it would properly flow according to what the estate plan says or outside of the estate plan if necessary. Yeah, that Man, makes I, think, I think Henry's last point is a good one, and I didn't want to make it too complicated with all the different TODs and all the other firms that we throw around like everybody uses them at the dinner table every night. But what, what I think Henry was saying at the end is the most important thing. When you come in contact with Cahaba, we're going to go through everything and make sure that your beneficiary designations or your account transfer information is filled out at a minimum. Uh, and we do come across a lot of accounts that transfer into us that don't have beneficiary information. Uh, so we get that filled out. And by the way, if you if you decide today that your beneficiary is X and Y and tomorrow Y pisses you off, you can call us the next day and change it to Z. Uh, it, we're agnostic to that and, and don't care. We just want to make sure it's filled out correctly. And talk to us just briefly about 
the probate process and why would somebody want to avoid this? Uh, uh, Henry touched on this briefly, but can you go into that a little yeah. more in detail, Will? Yeah. So if you die without a will, you die. It's what's called dying intestate. And if you die intestate, the you go your estate goes to the probate courts and within the state of of your residence. When you go to the probate court, the court actually, and you have to your your beneficiaries or descendants have to hire legal representation to go in and fight for what they believe were your last will and testament, right? But you never filed it, so it doesn't exist. Right. So a judge who you've never met is going to be making those decisions. Now, the judges try to do a really good job, but you can imagine it's a really hard job. You can't spend a ton of time getting to know the situation. So you have to make some pretty good decisions in order to keep your docket moving. Yeah. And if you really want to fight it, as Henry has, has alluded to, it gets expensive. So we meet a lot of people who are saying, oh, I don't want to pay $4,000 for a comprehensive estate plan. And I'm like, all right, that's great. Um, when you die without a will, your family's going to spend 15000 uh, with the attorney figuring all this stuff out that you could have avoided earlier. So having that sort of relative understanding helps us get people over that hump to to avoid going through what the probate process the probate process, this is a big misunderstanding. You don't actually avoid probate by having a will. It's just the will gets probated. Right. It just gets not pushed the through. Estate, not yes. the estate. It says the judge simply says, oh, they had a will. Great. Stamp. Yep. And then it goes to the executor. Got it. The so executor's that way, job to figure it out. Yeah. And they, they take care of everything from the 401ks to the chandeliers. Totally. But it's all done by the book exactly the way the person wanted. And, you know, I think one of the things that people – forget about this. You know, it, it might be hard to think about dying. It's hard to think about passing on. But you know, what's harder is not having these ducks in a row and having your family be torn apart in probate because you didn't take the time to put this together. And right, I mean, like, you're, many... hitting, you're hitting on a hot topic, because some people want to have every T crossed and every, every I dotted and have it all set up because they're very thoughtful, and they don't want anyone to have any stress. Others don't want to even acknowledge the fact that they may die. That's just a topic they don't want to talk about. And then for us, we know the family members down the line. Now, some family members get along great and are very rational in their discussions around financial matters. Most are not. Uh, and <laughs> the last thing we want to do is be the arbiters of who gets the medicine chest that great yes. granddaddy Nichols built and it wasn't clearly defined within the will, but I had a conversation with your mom and dad, and they told me that it should go to your sister, Sally. Yep. Well, in, a, in, a, in an intestine situation, I could be called onto the stand to testify to that fact to the judge. That's my time. That's a lawyer's time. I mean, you can see where this goes, right? Sure. sure. And then you've also created the conflict within that family fabric because of the misunderstanding, because you didn't put the will together. Right. And you put others in an awkward position because now little sister Susie loves me. I can't remember right. if, if I use Susie as the sister's name. Sorry. Well, little sister that. Susie loves me and uncle or brother John hates me because he thinks I said something he didn't agree with. Right. So it's really being thoughtful and just yeah. leaving a plan to your descendants so that you avoid all those issues that are so common. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Henry is a very empathetic person, but, um, you know, he, he doesn't love a lot of conflict and, and playing the role of Jerry Springer is not one of your favorite things, right? 
No, exactly. <laughs> you know, to, to give a real life um, example of this, I had a, a client, uh, actually, they didn't come to me until after this happened, but uh, mom actually had cancer and she passed away uh, without a will. And then three months later, the dad, and they're all like early 50s, by the way, and the dad passed away from a heart attack. She had, and neither one of them had a will and there was a business involved. And one of the one of the two girls was a minor. And so the the amount of work that the estate planning attorney that that we found, we put him in touch with, had to do to get this situation resolved was insane, Corey. It, and it cost the client, I think it's like a three million dollar estate. It cost them eighty five thousand dollars in attorney's fees to get this thing worked out. The older sister had to be named guardian. There had to be a whole big process associated with that. And the business had to be put on hold and could not operate because it was caught up in the estate and there was no executor. There was nobody. The courts had to go through and interview all the people involved to figure out who was going to be named the executor. And so the business, I mean, almost went bankrupt during that process because nobody could sign a document or the, on the business's behalf. Nobody could sign payroll office, yeah. you know, the paychecks. And it was yeah. just insane. And so, you know, it, those are real life examples. It costs a lot of money and chances are, I know here in Alabama, uh, if you die in test state, uh, the first 50000 goes to the spouse, and everything over 50000 is split equally, 50% to the spouse, and the remaining 50% to all the other children. So yeah. think about that. It, yeah. it, it, is, it is unbelievable what can yeah. happen. All you got to do is just get a simple will, bare minimum, and you can yeah. avoid some of that stuff. Um, so, you know, that's uh, we, we've seen many different situations, and, and that was probably more extreme. Uh, the other thing that I see that prevents people from getting a will, uh, especially for young couples, is guardianship. Okay. You know, people, people would generally kick the can down the road because there's nobody as good as them to take care of the kids. Well, you know, newsflash, you're not here. Yeah. And you don't want the state determining uh, who takes care of your children. And I'm going to tell you right now, I was a hypocrite for the first three years after my twins were born because I could, my wife and I could not get on page in figuring out who the guardian would be. So I, I would go into these meetings telling people they need to, to get their estate plan in order. And I was having my own issue at home dealing with my wife in terms of figuring out who the guardian is possibly going to be. And I finally put my big boy pants on and said, listen, we're not here. Somebody's got to do it. And we'd rather the state not, you know, making that decision. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's, that's the number one reason that young couples don't execute the documents. You can take them through this whole process sure. with the lawyer. They have them drawn up. We review them. And I'm like, all right, let's sign them and get them notarized. Well, we just can't agree on who it's going to be. And I've, I've had more than two hands. I've had a lot of instances where I've had to go to their house and be like, look, just name somebody. You can change it tomorrow. Yeah. But if right. you get hit by a bus tomorrow morning, it's in a judge's hands who doesn't know your family, doesn't know your kids, doesn't know what good would be. Yeah. I know you're looking for perfection and we all love our children, as Henry said, and we want what's best for them, but just get somebody down there because if you don't, it leads to a whole other slew of problems and it gets expensive. And, and again, kind of goes back to the analogy of going through probate, right? If that happens, you don't have these papers in place. Something tragic happens when you're in your 30s and 40s as young parents and the, and the court has to decide, the state has to decide who's going to take care of your kids. Now you've got the family members fighting over who should do it. Both both grandparents, you know, pairs of grandparents fighting and it's 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 ugly. So, you know, really that that's that that benefit um, that uh, that Cahaba Wealth provides in terms of sitting down and, and, and really 
holding your hand and helping you make those tough decisions. So much so that Will will even drive to your house and say, listen, John and Sally, you need to do this. I, I mean, it's a, it really is, um, you know, the passion that you guys have for helping people make the right decisions, especially when it comes to estate planning, it really is commendable. Now, moving on to another piece of estate planning, uh, talk to us about the durable power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, and living will, because this is another section of this that kind of makes people nervous and freaks people out sometimes. So take us through what those mean. All right. So starting with power of attorney or what's referred to as durable power of attorney, if you become incapacitated in any way, shape or form, whoever is listed or whomever is listed on that that paper is authorized to make decisions on your behalf. Now, there's an exception, healthcare power of attorney. You can have a different person who is in charge of making all decisions regarding your health care. So if you're in a coma, uh, if you're if you've you know, you've been in a car accident, you can't communicate. They're the, going to be the ones who are uh, in charge of uh, making the decisions on your behalf. Um, guardian. Um, who's going to take care of your kids? You need to list that. Uh, that's important. Uh, living will. Do I want to be alive? If they can keep me in a vegetative state and alive, technically, and spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, but have very little likelihood of me ever coming out of this, do I want that? You actually, I can speak from experience. My mother died in a car accident. We had one of these. It took the pressure off the family. You know, I didn't have to, or my brothers didn't have to, or my dad didn't have to be the ones that said, pull the plug. You know, and everybody jokes about pull the plug. She did us a favor by taking care of that before. And yeah. we were just we were just complying with her wishes. Right, right. So that was a huge benefit that I didn't really, frankly, have a respect for until it happened to me. It's a great point, because otherwise, if you're sitting there, you're going, oh, my gosh, I, I did pull the plug. And what if they were the... Zero 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 point one percent chance of people who came back from that, and you go, uh, you, you you could spend the rest of your life regretting that. And if you take your own scenario into your own hands, if that happens to you, really, really eliminates all of that stress from from the rest of your family, right? Yep, exactly. It does, you know. And I'll add on that, you know, that needs to be reviewed frequently too, you know, because your 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 mindset can change as you go through life, and you know, you always want to make sure that if it happens tomorrow. Uh, that the frame of mind that you're in right now uh, makes that decision. Uh, sure. You know, so I'll, I'll add. I mean, and, and these are fun topics, aren't they? I mean, it's just one of those things that yeah, <laughs> we. It, it's tough for us to have these conversations, and there's only so many ways you can make you know that that pleasant. And and we try, but but you know the biggest thing is to just just suck it up and do it, uh, and, and then be done with it, then move on to something more, uh, you know, more 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 exciting to talk about, like living and and being healthy. So yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, the the idea of constantly updating this. I have a friend who I feel like every quarter he changes religions. He's a Buddhist one quarter, then he's yeah. a Christian, then he's a you know, uh, then then he goes to a Tony Robbins event, and now he's a Tony Robbins disciple. His living will could change every quarter, so he. Should be calling you every quarter going okay i got new i got new things i need to do now so it, it i totally get it and again that also goes back to your point of saying listen just put something down for now we can right. change it later let's just get the documents in let's get them stamped let's get them ready to go and if you want to change anything we're only a phone call or an email away now let's talk about what happens when um you're naming a, an executor a trustee and a guardian 
Uh, Will, take us through those terms and, and kind of tell us how we want to think about who gets those roles and why. Well, I'll have a little gallows humor on this, but whomever is your most responsible friend that you really don't like is the one you name as the executor, because it's, it's a thankless job. Um, you literally come in and you are in charge of settling the estate. And with all the inherent minefields that are, that are there uh, in everyone's life, I mean, go back to my example of the medicine cabinet or whatever it is, you're following the directives that were given to you by the deceased to the letter, right? Because you have to, you have a legal responsibility to do that. And some people in the family could disagree with the wishes of the deceased, right? But that's not your concern. Your concern is to follow the will. Um, so once the executor has taken all the assets and either delivered them to individuals, tangible property deliveries or specific bequests, um, then the rest of the assets, if you had a trust, flow to that trust. Once they go to that trust, the trustee is now in charge. And the trustee has a document that tells them what to be done with those assets via that trust. It could be a, uh, a, a trust for a young adult. Um, and many times we recommend not, a, not giving lump sums to children until they're at least 30. And I have a thing, I work with a lot of my state attorneys where I go 30, 35, and 40. So you'll get 25 at 30, 25 at, at uh, 35, and then the balance up at 40. Um, and then we're there to help educate them and have, make sure they're making responsible decisions with that money. Because, you know, at 30 years old, I mean, everyone on this, on this podcast probably would have done something stupid, right? Um, so you want to do that. So the trustee has a lot of responsibilities. Henry's example of a special needs trust, you know, what facility are they in? What is the monthly uh, uh, lease rate for that facility? What is the additional care that's required? All those other things that are important to taking care of that person, that's all in that trust document. And it's up to the trustee in order to uh, abide by those rules and approve those expenses and make sure that the wishes of the deceased are being carried out. And then lastly, on the guardian, uh, you know, I touched on this earlier, but the guardian is in charge of, of taking care of your kids. And within the taking care of your kids, one thing we haven't really talked about is the financial burden that you're putting on the guardian. So you need to make sure that with guardianship, you also have a trust that has uh, financials that go along with those kids in order to give them the liquidity in order to enable them to raise your kids in the way that you want them to be raised. So, you know, the trustee guardian thing, you'll have the guardian who's in charge of the kids and you'll have a trustee that's in charge of the money and the guardian will request to the trustee and the trustee will verify that those expenses are legitimate and allowed by the document and release funds to the guardian in order to offset expenses incurred for the kids. Got so it. that's just one example of how that works. But that, I think that, that's how all three of those come together. To add on to that, well, you know, a lot of times uh, those people, uh, the trustee and the guardian, will not be the same person because in many, in many situations, the, the, the person most qualified to care for your kids is not good with money. You know, and, and a lot of times the people that are really, really good at money may not be as warm and fuzzy and, and loving to take care of the kids in the way that you want to do that. It's not that case in every situation, but most often that's what we see. That makes it's, sense. Also, it's also good to put a traffic cop in there. Right. So yeah. you'll, you know, you, you don't have one person who's in charge of the money and every, so they could do things and just to prove it. You have somebody where they have to go to and, and be held accountable. Right. 
Now, speaking of uh, being held accountable, let's talk about something that everybody loves to talk about in estate planning, which is um, the annual and lifetime estate tax exemption limits. Uh, just saying it, um, my brain <laughs> actually reverted back to high school, Corey, and I said, I don't even know what that means. I don't even want to hear what the teacher's saying and uh, what the heck. So um, can you break that down for us a little bit easier, Will, and and talk to us about what, what those tax exemption limits mean? And let's, let's just start there. <laughs> let's just start with the basics. This is a football. All right. So for 2023, you're permitted to give $17,000 to any individual family member or not and not have to claim it. They don't have to claim it. You don't claim it. It comes out of your estate. Okay. That's the annual. The lifetime exemption in 2023 is $12,920,000 per person. So that means that a couple has just shy of, what is that? Almost just shy of $26 million they can give away. So 25.84, 25,840,000 they can give away prior to estate taxes kicking in. The estate tax is starts at $12,500 and moves up very quickly to a 40% tax rate. So you want to protect assets where you can in order to avoid paying more federal estate tax than is necessary. And this is where it gets very important to have a good financial planner and very important to have a good estate attorney who's familiar with estate tax law in order to design a plan for you that is most beneficial for your family's long-term financial success. And we get all the time, Corey, that, you know, well, that's just not fair. That's that's double taxation. A lot of this money has <laughs> already been taxed. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not fair, but it's reality. And and so, you know, most people, when really pinned down, do you want half, uh, roughly half, or, you know, something shop half of your assets above a certain amount, you know, to, to go to the government? And it's not th that big of a deal for most people today because $26 million is a pretty high bar to, to get to. get to. Uh, but as of now, uh, 2025, those exemption amounts were reset uh, to, I believe, the $5 million a piece would be $10 million total. Well, it's, and, it's, 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 it's actually inflation adjusted, so it's slightly going to be slightly over $6 million, but to your point, Henry, we don't know the total amount until it sunsets, December 31st of 2025. Let's start by talking about what is a common law property state versus a community property state. What does that mean? And what do people that live in either one of those states, uh, what do they need to know? It's probably easier for me to start with community property state. It'll be clear to people. And, and community property states, just so everyone's aware who's listening to this, Arizona, California, Idaho, Louisiana, Nevada, Minnesota, Texas, Washington, and Wisconsin. If you live in any of those states that I just mentioned, you have community property states. And essentially what that means is when you get married, from the day you get married, everything you do, everything is considered community property. So there's no that's mine, that's hers, or that's his. It's 50-50 owned from the day you got married. Now, assets you owned prior to marriage are individual assets. Uh, assets that you inherit while you're married can be treated as individual assets. So it just gets a little bit more complicated. So if you live in any of those states, just know that you're going to have to be aware of timing issues and when things um, 
owned possessed, or possessed yeah, or possessed yeah. or owned, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then common law is what everyone's normally familiar with. Um, there can be some argument over who's who is the rightful owner of what asset. Um, I'll say this very simplistically: if you do a prenup, you avoid all these issues, all these issues. So rather than going into details on a very complicated issue, just yep. know that if you call Cahaba, we'll go into this with you and make sure that you understand. Yep. And that we'll end up probably, if you have a lot of stuff that's pertinent to this area, we'll probably end up advising you to work with a prenup so that we can avoid all the complexities. Um, the tangible property is, is, you know, is pretty much by definition, you can reach out and touch it. So a car, a medicine cabinet, or whatever it is. Yep. And then specific bequests, I want my daughter to have all my jewelry. I want my son to have all my baseball equipment, my, you know, whatever. It's a specific line-itemed uh, thing that's, that's given to somebody specifically. And it can also be specific dollar amounts, directing the executor on what to do. Henry, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think when it comes to uh, common law, uh, to get a little bit, a little bit more detailed on that essentially if in many states if you live together you share checking accounts you know you share the bills and and you don't legally you know go in front of a you know a, a judge or a priest to get married and file with the courthouse uh you still can be deemed to have been married and, and that's that's really what the common law is uh here in alabama um that used to be a big issue that has that they've done away with that as of late I'm pretty sure, and uh, but it is something that if you're not meeting with a financial advisor often and regularly, you're not going to know what the current laws are. And so I'll just point that out real quick. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, and I, this is going back to something else, but you know, something that struck me. I remember a, a situation where, you know, when, when you're naming the executor and the trustees, guardians, and all that kind of stuff, tell them. <laughs> Let them know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I have seen so many situations where I can't do this. I don't have time. I have three kids of my own. How am I, how am I going to take care of three more? Right. So just because it looks good on paper, uh, you, you know, don't sneak it in there. You know, have some courtesy and tell the people that you're going to uh, name them within the document. It's a great call. It's it's a lot better than the kids showing up on your doorstep and they go, "Hey, guess what? You're the guardian. You thought you were just the godparents, and it was kind of ceremonial, but nope. It says so in the in the will. That's a great point. Um, Give them a chance to say, yeah, 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 but you know, thanks, but no." things you know <laughs> especially when it comes to who's going to watch your kids and your dogs um uh and and if one 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 more specific question before we talk about um our last topic which is uh favorable trust statutes um tell me about when in the specific bequest section let's assume that you put 10 items there the baseball equipment the chandelier the medicine cabinet but then there's a bunch of other stuff that you do own that you don't have itemized in the will is there a clause that covers that, which, you know, do you normally recommend that somebody say anything that I didn't itemize in here goes to Jane or like, how do you deal with that? Because, you know, uh, let's assume your entire book collection, you just forgot to put it in the will. Yeah. So there's generally language where it'll say that is an estate asset and the estate assets are to be divided 50, 50 between the two kids. And at that point, the executor would go to the two kids and say, okay, do you want these things? Do you want half of these things? Or do you want us to sell them uh, and generate cash flow and split that 50-50? So that's the part about when I said your your most responsible worst friend is your executor. Those are scenarios where it's not fun. Yeah. Um, so 
Um, just my recommendation is take care of as much of that, the specific bequests as you possibly can to help the executive, whomever you've chosen and informed uh, that they're your executor to make their life as easy as possible. You know, to carry that to carry that further, Corey, um, it was a specific situation where um, the first to die left all of the decision making on who who all of the assets in this situation, the husband, the surviving husband was in charge of giving away the the first to die's wife, Joy. You know, she didn't make any specific. <laughs> And what this guy ended up doing, uh, <laughs> he moved. He was moving in with his son and and his daughter-in-law, and he was thinking that they deserve more because they're taking care of him, and gave all of his wife's jewelry to the daughter-in-law, and the daughter got none of it, and yeah. that was 15 years ago, and they still do not talk today. Right. So right. just because, you know, you think your spouse may survive you, go ahead and make those specific requests so the surviving spouse does not have to do that. So it can, <laughs> it can create havoc. Yeah. And havoc is exactly the right word. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and as we finish up the episode, uh, Will, talk to us about states that have the most favorable trust statutes and what, what you need to know about that if you're in one of those states. <laughs> or if you hear this part of the episode and you say, I'm moving to Alaska, that sounds great. Yeah, and the point of me including this within our notes was just to make people aware. Um, again, I'll go back to a will needs to be executed within the state where you live. A trust can be executed in in any state and be viable in any state. And there are states that have trust laws that are more favorable than others. And I won't go into the specifics because it gets very complex according to subject matter. But Alaska, Delaware, Nevada, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Wyoming are the states that have the most favorable. And by favorable, my definition there is allows you to do more than other states within the trust law structure. So if you have a trust that is complex, you uh -huh. probably want to talk to a trust attorney within one of the states that I just mentioned, Tennessee has very favorable states, call me. Uh, I'll help you uh, find a good one uh, because they can help you do stuff that you can't do in other states. Yeah. Uh, and I'll give one example, just so that people are like, well, he's not answering the question. There is, um, if you have a family that has an S Corp as a business and multiple family members receive income from that S Corp into the trust, into their trust and the trusts have been bifurcated. Uh, in Tennessee, that distribution can be treated as a partial liquidation and therefore is not subject to income tax. It's subject to capital gains tax, but it stays within the trust structure and saves you a tremendous amount of money. In other states like Alabama, that would be an income distribution and therefore you would pay capital gains tax and income tax on that distribution. So that's one example. Uh, of what I'm talking about when I talk about find a state that has good favorable trust laws that are consistent with what your trust document wants to do. I think the big, the overarching uh, 
point in, in that segment is to know, and we, we, we've said this all throughout the podcast, that this is all very, very state specific. And, 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 and you need to know those specific laws and, and the good financial planner in that specific state or, or deals with clients in that specific state can recommend an attorney they probably already has some type of relationship with uh, that, that knows. I know particularly what I try to do a lot of times is match up personalities. You know, there's a lot of good estate planning attorneys out there. They got to be competent, but there's also their delivery and 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 their bedside manner, so to speak, you know, and how that how they communicate with the client. Uh, different people, you know, need different uh, ways to, that they communicate to them. So, uh, financial planners, it's kind of like you know, if you if you use a parallel to the to the the, the medicine world, you know, we're kind of like that internal medicine, you know, doctor. We're you know, we know a whole lot about what we're doing, uh, but to specifically draft those documents, we're going to send you there, but we're going to identify needs that we see that. Can we can communicate back to that attorney and then we can also send the financial information to the attorney to keep down available hours and all that kind of stuff so uh having this comprehensive planner to help navigate and keep all these different moving parts uh moving in the in the direction that needs to move in is very important so and, and corey i'll add to that the reason cahaba doesn't have in-house estate attorneys is because it's so state specific yeah that we would to do a, the job that we want to do to the level of quality that we want to do it in every other aspect of your financial plan, we would have to have 50 estate attorneys on staff. Yeah. And you just don't have to have that. What you have to have is a good network uh, that you can reach out to and have confidence that they'll be treated to the same level of service that we treat our clients. And we hold them accountable on this, by the way. So it's our job to be that traffic cop for our clients. Because sure. if, if an estate attorney we've referred someone to does a bad job, they don't get another referral. Right. right. So the right. incentive is on them to do a good job. But the point of it is we know that we know enough to be dangerous to put you in the right way, but we need to get you to the final arbiter to get you over that finish line so that you have good, comprehensive documents that have integrity. And and to add on, Corey, I've seen this specifically. Uh, you can have the best estate plan in the world drafted, and it looks so good on paper. You've got all these moving diagrams and how charts and how things flow. But if your assets aren't arranged in the proper manner so that the, the, the plan can capture those, it's useless. I've seen I've you know I've seen this so many times where they have they spent five thousand dollars on a really good estate plan or maybe even ten and not one single dollar because they had all their assets in joint ownership they had all their assets in an IRA had all their assets four hundred one k everything bypassed the estate plan everything and so we come in and kind of clean up some of that stuff attorneys are transactional for the most part. A lot of good people. They do a great job. Some of them have relationships. But once they draft that plan and they send you that letter of how the assets should be arranged, they don't necessarily follow up with you often to make sure that it's done. And so we come in and behind that and making sure everything flows in the way it needs to flow. As an example for the audience, a tangible example of that, if you put your house in a trust, but you never go and update the deed, the house is not in a trust. Right. And it doesn't matter if the trust document says the house is in a trust. The deed doesn't. So the state says that the house is owned by whomever is on the deed. And that's really those little those little nuances, those little sub checklists of things that people would never know are really one of the places that Cahaba Wealth Management takes care of their clients because you know this doesn't have to be this. Uh, like I said earlier, this kind of uh, monster hiding in the dark trying to figure out how to get a solid estate plan together, right? I think this whole episode was really valuable in terms of breaking down what is a 
somewhat, you know, anxiety ridden, scary, complex topic. And, and we've really broken it down into some manageable, understandable pieces. And whether you're thinking about um, estate planning as a part of your uh, financial strategy, or you're, you know, kind of, you've gone down the road a little bit and you're feeling overwhelmed. Uh, it, you're, you're not alone and it doesn't have to be that hard. This doesn't have to feel like training for uh, scaling Mount Everest. Uh, Cahaba Wealth Management is only a phone call or an email away. And uh, as you can hear from Henry and Will's stories and advice on, on just this quick episode, uh, there is a lot that they bring to the table for every single client. And, and I think the most important thing, again, is kind of what Henry talked about with um, when he had his twins and he was kind of worried about who's going to take care of the kids and who are we going to name as the guardian. And he finally said, you know what? I got to put my big boy pants on. I got to get this done because it's not just my kids and my my wife that I want to you know take care of and feel at ease, but I want to make sure that the rest of the family is taken care of. By by that I mean I've made the decisions for them. They're following a plan that I, has been in my wishes that I said this is what I want to do if something happens. And and to be able to take that pressure off of your family members, to be able to relieve a family member of the stress of sitting in the hospital wondering, should I take my mother or father off of life support and know that their wishes are being respected? Um, it, it's really an invaluable service to provide to your loved ones. So I want to thank Henry and Will for being on the podcast today. And we look forward to uh, another episode of the There Is A Better Way podcast very soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Corey. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Corey. Thank you. That concludes this episode of There Is a Better Way. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check back regularly for new episodes and get connected to the wisdom you'll need to make confident decisions about your family's financial future and well-being. We'll see you on the next episode.